faith is not private. Faith is the most public thing we have. It doesn't mean you need to go out and, and be obnoxious. If you're hired to frame a house, frame the house. Don't spend all your time trying to win people to Jesus. Win people to Jesus by being the best framer on the job and we have the opportunity to have conversations, then let your light shine. Can I get an amen? amen? All right. I think one of the, I don't know why, I'm just going on a rabbit trail. This is maybe just the Holy Ghost. But um, I think one of the worst witnesses that we have as Christians is doing mediocre work, you know, showing up and not being excellent in what we do and then being super loud about Jesus. Claim another religion if you're going to work like that. Um, I'm kidding. But, but, but seriously, um, we're called to express our faith. We are closing 2019 and entering 2020 by diving into our fourth value. We've talked about um, bold engagement. We've talked about our value of having bilingual faith. We just wrapped up Bridges to the Broken. Today, we want to enter our last value, which is a body of diversity. We believe that God has called Redeemed Church to be a body of diversity. When we hear that term, we might think strictly racial diversity, and that will be at the core of what we talk about, but it's not just racial diversity. Um, I want to today just use this as an opportunity to segue into the idea and this message will deal with the general idea, kind of the elements that are needed to even have the conversation that we're going to unfold over the next few weeks. But I do believe that a diverse church that operates as a true family, I'm not talking about just, just showing up and we're different colors, different ages, different backgrounds. I'm talking about that and we operate together in a unity and in a teamwork that we're actually taking ground together, not just singing songs together, which is important, but that we're actually going on mission together in diversity. I believe that it's one of the greatest evidences that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the reason I say that is because it's really hard to find people that operate or groups that operate in diversity and accomplish meaningful things when there are differences amongst that group. It's really hard to find that in our society. And Jesus came and he said his goal was to make one new group of people, one new family out of many different types of people. Jews and Gentiles. When the New Testament talks about Jews and Gentiles coming together, that was a tall order because the Jews who had received Christ and now had been become followers of Messiah, of Yeshua, they were now called by the gospel to unite, not just as associates, not just as buddies playing flag football together now and then, they were called to become brothers with Roman Gentiles who were previously in a position to dominate them culturally. Roman brothers were called to humble themselves and not take a position of power and an office of authority and privilege above those who they were ruling over. But now we are on equal footing because we both stand at the cross together as sinners saved by grace and there is no one better and no one worse. In fact, if we want to play that game, the better one or the greatest is the servant, the one who takes on the heart of a child and the attitude of his servant. And so this is uh, such an important conversation. And 
I don't personally believe that real peace, like true genuine peace, is possible outside of Christ, especially on crucial or eternal matters. And, and here's why I say that. And again, today, I'm just, I'm literally just, this is the intro to some of this. I don't think it's possible because Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. But he's the Prince of Peace. What do you mean? So when you see the bumper stickers that say world peace, some have a spin on that. And they say visualize world peas, like the peas you eat. I think that was kind of funny. Jesus didn't come to bring world peas or world peace, okay? He said, I came to bring a sword. Well, that, that sounds like Green Beret Jesus. What's going on, Dave? What are you talking about? No, not a sword that would drip with blood. But he's saying that the only peace that is possible, the only peace that is meaningful, that makes any eternal difference, the only type of peace that will impact the soul in a true way or humanity and culture in a true way is the kind of peace that is found when man enters peace with God and is reconciled with God. And through that relationship, that one who's been made alive in Christ then goes out to those in, in his or her tribe, those outside of his or her tribe, those who were enemies, and through waging a war of love and truth, grace and truth, we embrace, we serve, we invite others to know Christ. Even if they don't believe, we still treat people with the love and the dignity that they're made in God's creation. And through that, when we all find ourselves serving the same Jesus, loving the same God, trusting and believing in the same book, that's when peace is possible. Even if we don't agree 100% politically, even if we don't understand each other 100% culturally, that's fine. But when we can have unity around the person of Christ and the truth of God's word, that's where we can drive back darkness. And that's the type of thing that will bring the world into the peace that God is talking about. You know that the only time, to me it's just futile because there's so much effort spent on trying to create peace. But in, in doing so, you have to silence one person. You have to cut one group off. You have to elevate one, because there's, I mean, trust me, if you're a true believer, you're going to treat everybody with respect. And if a Christian is radicalized, let's say radicalized, and a Christian is a soldier and we go to war, here's what our war looks like, okay? All right, it's time to go to war. You know what I'm going to do to you? I'm going to forgive you, right? I'm going to be patient with you, right? Like, you, you want to you bash me? You want to cuss me out? You want to make fun of me? You want to persecute me? Well, then I'm going to love you, right? And I'm going to pray for you. That's our kind of war. You know, we're going we're gonna to invoke God on this. Now, it doesn't mean we don't have a military. Bible, read Romans 13. I'm not talking about like when a society will not govern itself, you need a government to come in and do that. But that said, there's all this effort on trying to create peace and unity, peace and unity, but they're leaving out the central force, the only force that can make that possible, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. It, it, it is impossible without him. The only time we will ever have world peace, there will be a moment. In fact, prophetically, what is ahead, the way I read scripture, and the way many others read it, is there's going to be a great apostasy. There's going to be a great turning away in the body of Christ. People will be 
believing things that aren't true gospel. There'll be a gospel that's about tickling the ears, doesn't challenge people, make people feel good. There'll be all kinds of things that are tolerated in the name of Jesus. And there'll be a great falling away. But the Bible talks about the Antichrist, the man of perdition. And what he will bring is an unprecedented time of peace and prosperity like the world literally has never known other than maybe the Garden of Eden. There'll be a short window of that, but it will be a false peace. And it will be, people will be swept into this thing through this comfort and this, hey, we're all kind of getting along. There will be a minority in that group that doesn't go with the flow. Now, if you believe Christians are raptured, whatever, or it's just the Jews, some will catch on, but that's the only peace we will ever see globally, and it's a false peace that will end in the, in the Great Tribulation. So that said, I know that's a big thought, big intro. That said, here's why it's important. The Bible says in Luke 2, 14, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Now, look at this. So God's like, hey, yeah, peace on earth. Who's it among? Among those who believe and follow him, those he's pleased with. And if you look at this, the peace among men was not possible unless there was glory to God in the highest. Unless we glorify God, peace is not possible even within a church context. Now, look at this also. When we glorify God, if we're true worshipers and we're doing it his way, the result of a vertical relationship with God that is pure and right will result in peace with my brothers and sisters. You cannot have one without the other. How can you say you love God who you don't see and then hate your brother who you do see who's made in the image of God, right? So there's so many times we'll talk about in a minute, our spirituality is linked and our relationship with God is linked to how we treat one another. So in my spirit, this is a topic I absolutely love and I know it's worth fighting for. In my spirit, I see Redeemed Church as a body of true diversity, racially, culturally, generationally, economic, diverse in its backgrounds, people that come from different places, diverse in education. I see racism and bigotry and prejudice being destroyed in and through this church by choosing relationship with people that you may not understand and may not agree with, by choosing reconciliation, not, not the word reconciliation, not just the conversation of reconciliation, where it starts, but the hard work of reconciliation. The stuff people don't want to do, right? And I see this church genuinely, if we shine in one area, in my spirit, right, I feel like God has positioned us in an area that is super diverse, I think with a body that gets it, and with an opportunity laying at our doorstep, as we go into the next election, as we look at the day and hour we're living in, in fact, there's a scripture that talks about in the end times that people will rise up against one another, but this ethnicity hostility toward one another. And what an opportunity for the church of Jesus Christ to jump into the middle of that tension and that mudslinging and that division and from this place saying, Everyone's mad about it, but we have the answer. And we're not just talking about it, we're living it. I believe that God wants that for us. Not that the, we're there yet, but I really believe he wants that for us. This will happen through repentance. This will happen when we're directed 
by truth. You can't throw truth out. My wife and I, when we got married, we said one thing we're never going to do. We're never going to use the D word, which is divorce. And if you've been divorced, I'm not, that's not a judgment. I know that, you know, we live in a broken world and God redeems and God restores. And trust me, there's things in all of our lives that if we could, you know, go back and say, man, you know, do I wish that happened? No. But that's why we have a God who's so committed by grace. But we need truth, right? And that truth has to be fueled by love. It's a tough balance. But I feel like this is how reconciliation is possible. I see a redeemed church having a culture of generational honor. And what I mean by this is like, if you've seen what's been happening, because whether it's division in racism or division in in generations, millennials and boomers and the, the hostility that you see growing, I believe that like when we look at the elderly, the elderly used to be very important pillars in our society. And literally they've been pushed out, man. Like the ones that have all this experience, that have all these years, right? And so, oh, we don't need you anymore. You know, it's our turn now. And, and you need your turn, right? But, but I believe that this should be a place where those who are older are valued and they're honored and they're cherished and they're respected and they're hoisted up as mentors and people that we can learn from because of their experience. And so I believe that that has to be represented in the body of diversity. I also believe this is a place that must fuel and foster the raising up of young people where they're encouraged. And I know there's lots of jokes about millennials. Raise your hand if you're a millennial in here. Okay, don't be ashamed. Okay, so some of the jokes are valid and and they're true. But instead of like clowning millennials, what if we created an opportunity where young people come in and even though this is a generation because of technology, because of access to ideas, because of a soundbite generation, a social media generation, um, with anything, there's good that can come out of it. And what if this was a place where we said we're going to encourage, we're going to equip, and we're going to empower our young people and give them a place to be released to reach the most unreached generation in the history of our nation, which is their age. So we can complain about how they don't think right or, or how lazy they are on the job. I heard it, sorry, this is a funny one. I'm telling a joke now. You look at why someone thinks the way they do, then get into the, the reason and the way they're So a buddy of mine does construction. He's in a union and they said that they had to create another class called work ethic for some of these younger guys that come in. Here's this old salty dog and He's past retirement, you know, and he's got a cigarette in his mouth. He's got like eight two by sixes and he's carrying them to go lay forms for concrete. He said, you know, we'll have two young guys and they're carrying one eight foot two by six together. And, (laughs) And, you know, I mean, it's kind of funny, but they have to do classes because in a technology generation or dad's not around, whatever, that maybe they didn't learn it. The point is a culture of honoring every generation. You know what that means for the older folks? That means that Because of your maturity, you get the privilege of preferring the end game, which is soul saved, lives transformed, community made new. You get to prefer that and go for that and give up a little bit of style and flavor so that young people will come in. Maybe they haven't grown as mature. Um, That'll come. And and maybe their reasons for being a part of a worship service and, 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 you know, staying in a church for very long, maybe their reasons aren't as spiritual, but we give and we take. Why? Because it's not about us. It's not about our preference. 
It's about the Prince of Peace and it's about getting as many people into the kingdom before he appears in the sky, before the end is here and we have no opportunity to reach anyone else. Amen? Do you believe that today? I see a church where the body is represented with rich and poor, PhDs and dropouts, women who were raised in the church and women who were raised in the street. One of my favorite images, I've shared this before, but it's worth repeating, is into church one day walks, I mean, three dudes side by side. Uh, one guy was an ex-pimp in Tacoma, did hard time, gold teeth. Um, to his right, bald white guy, looked like me, but a little heavier, had Aryan swastika tattoos on his earlobes. And next to him was an ex-Columbian drug lord. They all met in a prison ministry. They walk in together. Um, they sat down, down behind a pro athlete and a single mom. And I thought, man, what a picture of the body of Christ. You don't see this at the Elks Club, people. Right? <laughs> and, but I love that no matter where you come from, this is a body where we all find equal footing and equal value and true family at the foot of the cross. In my spirit, I've said this before, but I see Redeem down the road as we pursue this. I see Redeem as a church where pastors, politicians, corporations, businesses, educators, they literally say something is happening and there's this church, there's this body of believers and their friends that have somehow figured out um, what has literally cost billions and billions of dollars that have been flushed down the toilet through politics, trying to figure this solution out. But there's this group of people in the Northwest who have somehow figured out not just how to sit together in church in a diverse group, not just to have a leadership team that is diverse, but how to operate as a true family, even though they don't fully agree on all the political issues and again, don't see each other or understand culturally why they do what they do. But they've come to the table and they've done the hard work. I think that God in my spirit, I believe that God has called this church to be a point of light specifically in that area. And the Bible says that this is the greatest form of evangelism. When they see your love one for another, they will know that you're my disciples. And love, it gets categorized and it gets played out as just a buzzword. But love is a thing that is costly. Love demands sacrifice. Love means, man, I cannot stand that their opinion is so unbiblical. And I have to sit here and Dave and uh, scripture tells me to go in with a, a, a small mouth and big ears. And I'm just like on fire inside because what they're saying is, is, is burning me up. But I'm going to sit and I'm going to listen instead of speak. And I'm going to let someone teach me instead of needing to go in and try and teach somebody, right? It's going to take a totally different uh, way of approaching relationship and conversation. I believe that when his body gets to that point, gets to the point where Christ's kingdom trumps our culture. What I mean by that is God wants you, he created us diverse. And in heaven, it says that you'll see every tribe, every tongue, every nation. In fact, there's a scripture and I won't read it today, but we'll get to it next week. Uh, the scripture says that those who had racism in their heart toward another race, it's so clear in there. And I'll read it next week, but it says, whatever race you were racist toward, 
should you still have faith in Christ and get into heaven, that you will be given that person's color and ethnicity for eternity. I'm kidding. It's not in the Bible, but I scared some of you guys. You're like, I do not want to be white. Not forever. Lord, maybe a weekend. <laughs> Wouldn't that be so cool if Jesus did that though? That would be so cool. So if you want to stay your same culture, then treat everybody with love. I'm kidding. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm just saying. No, but, uh, but I do believe that like when, when the, ki the kingdom has to trump our culture, that's why, that's, so it has to trump our politics, our political views, because there are some political issues that are scriptural and those have to be brought to the conversation with love and with truth. But the kingdom, you know, when Jesus, he made a new group of people out of many, it means that he put a new DNA in you. And so my, my tie to you, you can, I have more in common with a, a Chinese woman than I do with a white male who's not a Christian. Do you understand what I'm saying here? If you're an African-American male, you have more in common with a 13-year-old white girl than you do with another African-American male. When it comes to the DNA and the blood of Christ and the truth we live by and the spirit that makes us family, the blood is thicker than water, right? The, the, the blood of Christ, the blood of Jesus. Now, what does that require? That means that, that means that okay, if we're family, it doesn't mean we just can hold hands and kumbaya because I know politically, you know, we have some folks that vote, okay, well, how could you ever vote against, uh, or how could you ever vote for somebody that supports abortion? And then you, on the other side, like, how could you vote uh, against social justice? Like, there are people dying in the streets, there are people dying in the womb, and that's a long conversation, right? But could we say that in this body, we choose to love we choose to walk with each other. We choose patience. We choose to realize that we're all sinners. None of us is right as we are and as brilliant as we are about solving the world's problems. None of us have a better solution than Jesus. So why don't we say, instead of going to the Republican or the Democrat playbook, instead of going to my culture's playbook, instead of spitting off what granddaddy taught me and what grandma taught me or what my uncle said in the, in the man cave. Instead, why don't we say, what does Jesus say? And let's let him dictate the conversation. And that takes maturity, amen? So, so I, I do believe that when we fight to become family, and it is a fight, it's a wrestling match where we're more about soul searching than fault finding. We're more about serving together on an eternal mission versus segregating over minor things like music or style, you know, or, or whatever. We have, to, we have to get the heart of God if we want this. And if we would be courageous and, and humble enough, and if we would be activated to be a part of the solution versus just being passive spectators, then Jesus, I believe, will allow this church to be a part of leading the transformation, not just the conversation. Lots of people talking. Lots of people. And just so you know, like, Dave, where are you at on all of this? If you know me and some of you are here, I've spent the last three years behind the scene digging ditches with folks, sitting with pastors, finding other African-American men, women, minorities, that agree with me, that disagree with me, and asking the question, where am I blind? 
What do I not see? Doing my research, right? Because I don't want to get up and I don't want to just spout something because it's a tagline. And I also, I'm not going to spout something because there's pressure. And if you don't say this, you're going to make this people group mad. I don't, listen, I'm not in this to please people. Trust me. I, I, I need to be true to who God made me to be according to the scripture. And I'm not dancing for anybody. I'm dancing for the Lord. And I'm dancing in this dance in a way that Jesus may my actions and may my words, although imperfect all the time, may they point people to you, not to one president or another or not to myself. And it's an important stance that we need to take. So let me say a few more things and then we're going we're gonna to close here. But all of this sounds great, but it's, it's really not. The, it's happening in a few spots. But for the most part, it's not really happening because it's extreme. It's hard. And it's emotionally charged. It's the conversation of diversity within a body. There's a lot of misunderstanding and misrepresentation. Aren't you mad sometimes when you see the spokesman for certain things? Like, why do they have that person speaking for our side, right? There, I could name five people within a five-mile radius that could have done a better job, right? And so there's, there's misunderstanding because people don't have the conversations. Or some of these bigger issues, they're being tackled by politics instead of the, the body of Christ, and so there's always going to be a bias and a slant. It's always going to fall short of perfection because it doesn't include Jesus in the conversation. Or churches. Sometimes churches are either, they ignore it through passivity or they inflame anger through embittered passion. And so somehow, if we're going to be a church that represents a body of diversity, we've got to be committed to the long haul to find the heart of Christ and the pace of Christ in Engaging this with each other so that we can engage a community who's feeling this. And Jesus, I love this, 2 Corinthians 5.18. This is the ministry he gave all of us. It says this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Everybody say that. Reconciliation. What, what does that mean? It's kind of a weird word. Here's what it means. It's two words broken down in the Greek. The first word means down to an exact point. The second word means to change. So literally it means when two parties reconcile, moving from opposing positions to the same position. This starts by a sinner moving from my position of opposition against God and saying, man, I've been doing it my way. I see that Jesus is Lord. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man, man comes to the Father but by him. And I, I put my faith and my trust in you. And now I choose not to dictate my life based on how I think, but I choose to get on your page. And then from there, we're called to reconcile others to God and be reconciled to one another. So what does that mean? It means that for two people to get close, sometimes only one has to move. And it also means probably that if we're going to have true unity, even though there's not 100% agreement on every issue, but if we're going to have unity, it's probably going to be two people moving. Now, which direction do you move? Do, do I go your way or you come my way? No, I think that in the body, we figure out what Scripture says and where the spirit of truth and grace is at work, and we both move to that position. 
And if we can move to that position, then we're both moving closer together. It's two people at the bottom of a triangle, perfection, truth, and love at the top. And the closer we move to him, the closer we get together. And if we can commit to that, I think that God is going to shine so brightly through this congregation and people will be knocking down the doors to find out what's going on. Where else is this possible outside of Christ on crucial matters? I think nowhere. It's the word, it's the blood, and it's the spirit that unify us and bring us into a place of reconciliation and tight diversity. I think we can stay diverse and tight at the same time. Let me, let me just say this. Out, the outcome of reconciliation is beautiful, but the work is, is brutal at some points because it takes dying to self. Your ego is going to get trampled and you got to give up preferences for the bigger, bigger cause. Let me read a few scriptures. Uh, there's a guy named Johnny B., um, John the Baptist. He was the first, he was a first century R&B artist. Johnny B. Uh, laid down some pretty sick lyrics. <laughs> Here's some of them. So he spits this song in um, Luke 1, 16 and 17. And it says, he, John the Baptist, or his ministry, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So look at what this looks like. He said that the ministry of repentance is it makes us right with God and then it turns people to reconciliation with one another in families and in community. And then it goes on. This is so cool. He's baptizing people. He eventually baptizes Jesus and he's talking about repentance. He's like, be baptized. Let your sins be washed away. Um, one's coming after me. I'm not worthy to tie his Nikes. But until he comes, he's going to baptize you in the spirit and fire. But in this baptism of repentance, they ask, well, what does baptism or what does repentance mean? And here's what it says. Then John said to the crowds coming to be baptized, you brood of vipers. What a great way to welcome your crowd. Who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? He didn't have a lot of like social grace. He lived in camel's hair. He ate locusts and lived out in the wilderness. Probably not a guy you'd want to run your hospitality ministry, but he was a great preacher. He says, who warns you to flee the coming wrath? Therefore, produce fruit. Everybody say produce fruit. Produce fruit. This is for us. Produce fruit worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe, is, the axe lies ready at the root of the tree. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now check this out. The crowds asked him, what then should we do? John replied, here's what you do to bear fruit worthy of repentance. My repentance makes me right with God, but then I demonstrate repentance by this. Whoever has two tunics should share with him who has none. And then it says, whoever has food should do the same. How do I know that you're repentant? When you have an abundance, you, you find other people who may not be in your tribe or your friend, but you see a need and you take of what is yours and you invite others to experience the provision of God by letting it flow through you. He's like, 
You want to show that you're right with God? How do you treat people? Then it says this, even tax collectors can't be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? He says, collect no more money than you're authorized, he answered them. He's like, stop ripping people off. If you're right with God, stop cheating people. Number 14, then some soldiers asked, and what should we do? He says, do not take money by force or false accusation. Be content with your wages. Do you notice like our relationship with God is, is the fruit of it is judged on how we treat people. From the 10 commandments, those 10 commandments go into two categories, our relationship with God and our relationship with people. Jesus, the two greatest commandments, love God, love people. The way we reach out to people, the way we treat them is a representation of the relationship we have with God. And if we're gonna have a body of diversity, we've got to see that it's not just me and Jesus. It's not just me coming to church to get filled up. You should. But who am I bringing with me? And who am I bringing Jesus to? How am I using my life, my resources, my witness to include other people so that they can be a part of this great miracle called grace? And I'll close with this. If we got a couple choices. We can be a church that plays it safe. We can be a church that keeps people happy, you know, remain truth-based. We, we can come together and, and make sure that we're always improving the attraction stuff, right? And so, um, as you've seen, we've had, you know, John was here and, and we made an agreement that he would give us three months and he lives way up north. He blessed us huge by transitioning as a, uh, Michelle Lang had to move back to uh, Portland in the transitions there. When those three months were up, we graciously had Jessica come and she's stepping in and we're building. We're building a team. And it takes time because you got a gel. We got musicians. We got some of the most faithful, committed people in the world on this worship team. And they're pouring their hearts out. And they're coming every week in the midst of trying to like find chemistry. And, and so we talked about plan and, and practicing moving forward. But... What we could do is we could take a big portion of our budget. We could put on a dog and pony show. We could create Disneyland for the kids. I mean, one day I'd love to have a building and have a mini Disneyland. I'm not, I'm not lying, but, um, but we, could, we could do that. You know, we could make sure the messages are super inspirational and you leave feeling pumped up. And we'll talk about sin, but we'll kind of generalize it. We'll make sure that, uh, we'll make sure that we, when you bring friends, you know, they, uh, they never hear a topic that's going to conflict with their lifestyle, right? We wanna make sure that you get involved, but we're not gonna push you to get too involved because we don't wanna make you feel like we're encroaching on your comforts and in your American way. See, we could do that and, and we can still probably get some people into heaven. We can still teach from the word. We'll just avoid some passages. But you know, the problem with that is it doesn't change the world. It does not drive back darkness. It's no intimidation to the enemy. It doesn't grab a hold of the hearts of people. It doesn't deal with the real issues that are tearing our society apart. It doesn't cause a mom or a dad who are living in absolute disregard of their children. It doesn't cause them to engage and take ownership. It doesn't change anybody from the inside so the behaviors will change. All it does is it collects a bunch of Christians who want to feel like they're a part of the army, who want to wear the uniform that soldiers wear, but who don't have to be asked to actually go into battle and risk it with bullets, blood, sweat, and tears. And I don't want a church like that, and neither does Jesus.
right? So, or we could be the church that Jesus called us to be, a church that wages war against hell. And upon this rock will I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Against what? Against the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, disciples, I'm taking you to Caesarea Philippi and I'm gonna show you the worst place in our culture. So he takes them there and there's new dancers. I said this before, it's kind of crazy. Jesus took his disciples to a strip club, literally. And they're standing outside of there and they're dancing to the, the God Pan. They weren't throwing $1 bills. Please don't like, he wasn't there to be entertained. He took them there and he said, look how dark this place is. They're worshiping false gods. There's nudity, sexual immorality. They're intoxicated. There's a river that flows under this rock and it's supposed to go to this underworld where Pan is. He said, there's a big rock face. And he said, upon this rock will I build the church. The rock is also the revelation that he's the Christ. And in the darkest, most intimidating place spiritually, that's where I want to set up shop. Why? Because the church should not be afraid to engage the hostility because we have the power, we have the Prince of Peace, we have the answer, we're full of eternity, and we're on the winning side. And he said, when we set up church here and we do it my way, the gates of hell, the teeth of hell, will not prevail against the body that embraces diversity, that embraces love and truth at the same time. So the call is, are you willing to embark on a journey that's going to challenge you politically? It's gonna challenge you racially. It's gonna challenge you culturally. Most of all, it's gonna challenge you spiritually. It's gonna call you to conversations and relationships that you think on the outset might be impossible or difficult, but you're gonna find out that it's gonna become the most beautiful thing you've ever done in your life. Because when you get to know the Jesus Christ, can I just say this? When you get to experience Jesus in somebody that you have nothing in common with, the Holy Spirit has a way of revealing himself in the difficult people and the difficult places in ways that are so beautiful and unattainable unless you go to the uncomfortable spot. And through this, God is gonna make us stronger and we're gonna wage a war that is run on faith, hope and love, grace and truth, courage, sacrifice and humility. A war that we're gonna wage that loves the lost into eternal life, that brings hope, healing and wholeness to broken people like we've been talking about that restores the families and leads the captives to freedom and reconciles racial diversity. And so as we head into 2020, I just want to close by saying, would you be willing? And again, please, this isn't about, this isn't just about black and white, Democrat and Republican. Like, I, I don't want, I don't want to play the political game. I wanna keep this Jesus, I wanna keep it scripture, but I wanna make sure we have the heart. But would you be willing to maybe revisit what it means to be a follower of Christ? Revisit like, am I an active participant? Am I, am I a soldier that's willing to charge the front lines or am I just wearing the uniform? Am I a cop or a mall cop? Nothing against any mall cops in here, right? 
but I don't want to be Paul Blart, right? That's my cop. I, I don't, man. Like, like I, I want to be a part of the action. And so I'm praying, we're going to worship God. And at this time, those who are being baptized can head out um, to get, get ready. And then when we're done singing, I'm going to ask that, because we don't want a big time delay, we're just going to march like the children of Israel out of Egypt. We're walking through the Red Sea and we're going to go straight there and celebrate these lives being tra- changed and transformed. But I don't want you to dismiss yet. Um, we're going to receive our offering at the end as you leave. And um, this place runs on your generosity. But the, the, the response time here is this reflection. God, is there, is there something in my heart that is not open to people who are not like me? Is there judgmentalism? Is there racism? Is there prejudice in my heart that maybe, maybe I haven't like let you open up and explore? And God, would you make me willing to be a part of this body of diversity that genuinely the world will come and say, how is it done? And we'll be able to point him to Jesus. God, thank you so much that you have called us to be one body in you. And we ask in the name of Jesus Christ that God, that picture that I know you burn in my heart years ago, but I feel like this is the time that you want to release it. That you would put that picture in all of our hearts, God. That God, this spark of light comes out of the Northwest, not that we're the only church. I'm praying that your church in general will get this. But God, it's getting harder and it's getting more visceral and it's getting more violent. And we're asking that God, you would entrust us to ride the elephant. God, to address the elephant in the room and not just point it out, but to get on it and ride it to the cross. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ that, Father, we would be a body of humility and courage. God, a body who's willing to listen, a body who cares more about winning a heart than an argument, but is not willing to dismiss truth at the same time. God, grace this body and this people. And I ask that, Lord God, next week, next month, God, as we go into an evangelism series in January and we we go after reaching uh, those who are lost, God, I pray that you would fill this place with lovers of money, with prostitutes, with single moms, God, with leaders, corporations, with young, with old, with black, with white, with Hispanic, with Asian, with Islander. God, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. God, I pray that this place would be a place erupting with joy, erupting with life. God, because you're continually bringing more people into your one true race, the race of the redeemed. Come on, if you believe that, can you give Jesus praise this morning?